0: Baby Fajodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Baby Fajodier, this is African Liberation Media. The day's date is. April 5th, 6261, a day after our brother, the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was murdered on the balcony of a Memphis hotel, the Lorraine, many years ago, all those years ago. I have been struck, of course, by the proceedings In the case of this white supremacist murderer, Chauvin, that has been playing ongoing on television, the thing I'm struck by is the fact that the victims and the bystanders are considered to be the villains. Some of the bystanders are as young as nine years old. Their crime, in my view, is showing compassion to a man who was dying. I would say to the young brother, the retail operator in the store in close proximity to where Floyd died, don't blame yourself worth a darn for what the pigs did killing this brother. You know, it's weird. You know, it could be me or anybody else. I should have my day in court. A $20 bill should not be the basis for my death or my execution. They want you to shut up and obey the police state and watch a man die. Let's be clear. Based on what I've seen and heard, the cause of Floyd's death was cardiopulmonary arrest caused by throat and chest compression. This comes from four examiners who examined the deceased brother George Floyd. Other than that, sister Tamika Mallory is back in the news. She's clapping back. Mallory, the activist who has come under fire for being uh, sponsored by Cadillac. She said that she would be willing to debate anyone in public. Uh, she is in the news We want to digress for a minute. I was also impressed with the testimony of a brother by the name of Donald Williams, athlete in his own right. Uh, he testified that the cop was shimmying. Uh, which aided and abetted the premature, the untimely, the gruesome murder of George Floyd. This is the African Liberation Media I'm here with brothers Macaroo and Amos. We hope to be coming to you live as soon as possible. Gentlemen, take it wherever you want to take it.
1: Ladies and gentlemen,
2: brothers and sisters, the Black Panther Party very proudly presents
1: your Legacy never be forgotten we will remember your legacy will never be forgotten let the story not be told of the ones who were so old power, dedicated totally, to see the people free, they were a shining example of our struggles fine and sour. Will the answer only history can provide, but we say there is no shame, love for the people and the flame, and the snake. When they, they did see the time. And now the legacy will never be forgotten. We will remember the legacy. Will never be forgotten. Oh, No. no.
2: B.B. Fajotier, African family, within the context of the current struggle that uh, that is being waged, uh, exemplified, you know, in, in a sense by the trial of the officer who lynched George Floyd, the officer officers who lynched George Floyd, uh, the African uh, black liberation struggle lost um, a true warrior in uh, brother Romain Chip Fitzgerald. He was the longest serving black Panther political prisoner transitioned uh, last week at the age of 71. He uh, had been in prison for 51 years. And I think, uh, Some people, when reading the story about people like, uh, say, for example, Chip Fitzgerald or Russell Maroon Schultz or Sada Shakur, Sundiata Akoli, Matula Shakur Shakur, and others will say, well, you know, why are they shooting at the police? Why are they fighting the police or whatever? And blame them, you know, for being killed as the uh, system is trying to blame George Floyd for his own death. Right now, uh, we have to really and truly put everything within the proper historical context. Uh, in 1967, the United States government, led by the demonic institutionalized white supremacist Jerry Hoover, literally declared war on the Black Liberation Movement. The They were... The power structure of this country was literally afraid of the young people who had, largely, most of them had come through the civil rights movement, had been beaten in jail many times, uh, and realized that uh, reform would not work. So they called for power, and then power became black. The Black Power movement became the Black Liberation Movement, and uh, when uh, Jed Gehuba in uh, announced his directive on uh, what he called black nationalist hate groups in August of 1967, the black Panther party was not even on his list of organizations Uh, within a year's time or uh, about a year and a half later, he considered the black Panther party to be the greatest threat to the internal security of the United States, which is a lot considering this is during the height of the cold war with the Soviet union. Uh, This is doing a war that's taking place in Vietnam. This is when you have a communist party in the United States. But this organization that had been founded in 1966 was suddenly the greatest threat to the internal security of the United States, according to the white supremacist Hoover. So when we look at what happened to to Chip Fitzgerald and, and I have had a similar experience, although not without with. With the, with the same results uh we were literally at war and it, this war has been going on uh for us here in the united states since 1619 and it has different levels of intensity and a lot of times our people are lulled to sleep and thinking well you know things have changed and then they remind us that it hasn't So I just want to read just a little bit about Chip and try to explain why, you know, I think it's important to understand the context and why I I consider this brother to be a warrior and a hero. In 1967, while serving time as a youthful offender, Chip encountered literature about the Black Panther Party. Heartened by what he learned, Chip took himself through a process of reevaluation and concluded he no longer aspired to be involved in the streets. You know, this is similar to what happened to uh, Wally, Malcolm X. And there would be other members of the Panther Party like Bunchy Carter, who made a, a, a similar uh, uh, transformation. He made a decision to devote his life to the freedom struggle and the ideals for which organizations like the Black Panther Party stood. Upon his release from jail in early 1969, he and a group of fellow prisoners joined the Southern California chapter of the Black Panther Party. On September 7, 1969, California Highway Patrol pulled over a Volkswagen with Romaine, Chip Fitzgerald and two other members of the, of the party. According to the Los Angeles Times, the men were stopped on the corner of Compton Boulevard and Van Ness Avenue for a faulty taillight. A faulty taillight. During the traffic stop, a shooting broke out, leaving one officer and Chip Fitzgerald injured. The three Black Panthers managed to escape from the scene, leaving the injured officer in possession of Fitzgerald's driver's license. Chip avoided being arrested until October 9th when he was detained without incident. After being taken custody, he was informed that he was not only charged with the attempted murder of the highway patrol officer, but also was being charged with the murder of a private security guard. Chip was convicted of a first-degree murder and was sentenced to death in 1970. Later, the death sentence was commuted to life. Chip was also tried for the attempted murder of the highway patrol officer. During the trial, the officer admitted, check this out now, during the trial, the officer admitted that he had orders to shoot members of the Black Panther Party. Despite this admission, the judge in the case ordered the jury to ignore the statement. See, this is what happens. We, we, uh, the trial is taking place in Minnesota. We have no control, no control over what the outcome will be. And it's because we don't have a power base that threatens. If you don't do justice, this will happen. OK, despite this admission, that's like the judging chip was subsequently found guilty and was sentenced to life for his involvement in the shootout. Chip was denied parole every time he became eligible despite surviving a stroke that left him disabled now let's look at uh what happened it says they were stopped for a faulty tail light now do you think that was just an accidental stop that they just happened to stop that particular volkswagen for a faulty tail light not harley not harley we had a similar experience here in in charlotte when we engaged in uh some activities that uh, you know we really should have thought about. Before. Before we did it, but uh, after we had a con- uh, uh, confrontation, it was a nonviolent confrontation, even though the uh, Charlotte uh, police were armed. Uh, while driving back to our uh, office, uh, the police stopped the car that was being driven by Ben Chavis because one of his lights was out. Um, when I was a student in Malcolm X uh, Liberation University, we were given a day off to attend a trial at a Wilmington 10 down in Burgall. And I noticed that as soon as we got into the county, and I can't remember which county Burghaw is in now. I can't visit Pender. I can't remember which county. But anyway, it's down on, uh, near the coast. I noticed that uh, my uh, car, there were like uh, three of us, uh, four of us from the, uh, from the school that were going down to the trial. We had picked up a tail. The office, there was an unmarked police car that started following us as soon as we entered the county. How did they know we were coming? How did they know what we were driving? They followed us to the uh, courthouse. We went in the courthouse. They sat behind us in the courthouse. Uh, During recess, we left and went to a fast food place. They followed us to the fast food place and followed us back. They could have stopped us anytime. Anything could have happened just like what happened to Chip. What I'm saying here is that there's no accident that this particular car was stopped and that a shooting occurred and these brothers defended themselves. You have the officer admitting that, you know, that they were told to shoot black Panthers. And um, so this brother, even though you can get all kinds of people who commit heinous crimes, particularly if they commit a crime against someone, a person of African descent, and they're given a slap on the wrist, put back on the street, uh, the authorities hope that they kill another African. Uh, all types of of criminals have been, uh, uh, you know, released from prison. But this brother was in prison for 51 years. Uh, he had uh, numerous alibis. Now, first of all, they said he shot the security guard. This was during the time when he was technically underground because they they had escaped the shooting. He was actually shot. Uh, by the police officer the bullet grazed his head he had a head wound and uh he went to some community uh people who who uh you know, bandaged him up you know healed him uh from from the wound and so here's a brother that, that that's been shot in the head now he's going to go out and and shoot this other guy uh for what uh you know just trumped up charges the same with the charges against Geronimo Gagger uh but this is because you know we were literally in a war And, you know, we played the song, The Legacy, because, you know, if people would take time and listen to that song line by line about these brothers who laid their lives on the line because they dared to seize the time, their legacy would never be forgotten. These were courageous brothers, uh, brothers who certainly would have attacked George Floyd. No, no. There's no question about it. Would they have done? Absolutely. Absolutely. No question whatsoever. And so, um, you know, I just wanted to uh, highlight, uh, the story of, uh, brother, uh, Chip Fitzgerald who, uh, transitioned at, uh, at the age of 71 after serving 50 51 years for literally defending himself, literally defending himself and, uh, probably saving his own life. Um, you know uh you know doing this traffic stop and this these are the conditions that we were dealing with and you know a lot of people you know today just don't just don't understand that and when they they'll read a story like this and they raise all kinds of questions well why are y'all shooting at the police <laughs> and so hey because we were at war it's that simple go ahead Arche,
0: Arche. uh totally ridiculous to even have to respond to that question. Uh, what comes to mind was the progenitor of many of these ideas, Brother Amawali, Malcolm X, who articulated uh, that, you know, whenever you live in a society that is governed by law, in the quote, and the law refuses to protect those people or that individual, I'm paraphrasing, well, then those people are justified and defending themselves by any means necessary. It was through these ideas that the Panthers had their origins or the ideological base, along with Brother Robert Williams over in Monroe, North Carolina, and the revolutionary ideas of people in China, Cuba, who had engaged revolutionary struggle and defied uh, imperialist aggression then as well as now. Uh, during this time period, of course, we had accomplished public accommodations and voting rights, but here he again, you know, we still were being slaughtered, to use the phrase of Dr. King, as if it was a national pastime. Uh, we lacked adequate housing, and of course, our economic conditions was could be described as conditions that left us in dire straits. So these are some of the concepts that uh, the Panthers uh, espoused um, concepts such as uh, dealing with the basic needs of people. You know, you had children hungry, but yet still you had public accommodations. Children hungry, uh, but yet you had procured the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The basic needs were not being dealt with uh, which left I guess a bitter taste in the mouth of those who were accepted by the mainstream and those who were denounced and referred to as the greatest threat to national security. We're talking about uh, the Panther Party, Fred Hampton and
3: that cadre of courageous warriors. I see. I think it's important that you live with that bapa marker and, and that you pay homage to brother Fitzgerald, because if we don't do it, nobody else will. And not just us at African Liberation Media, but we as black people, if we don't do it, nobody else will, it's up to us to uplift, our, especially our warriors who sacrificed their lives on the front line and sacrifice so much mm-hmm. it's up to us to speak their names and let everyone know that we honor them and we pay homage to the sacrifices that they made for us uh so i i, I just wanted to say our shade to that
2: our brother our
3: yes sir
0: our shade indeed I want to go ahead, brother.
2: Yeah, I want to say this about the the Floyd trial because um, it obviously is 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 consuming, you know, a, a a lot of attention, and you know we're totally at the mercy of, quite frankly, uh, the system in terms of how strong a case they uh, present and uh, a jury. Uh, you know, which uh, what are the odds that someone on the jury has the same mentality as Roger Tawney or Jager Hoover? You know, Jager Hoover said uh, he said uh, justice is incidental to law and order. And of course, everybody knows what Tawney said in the uh, Dred Scott decision. Black people have no rights. that white people are bound to respect. I mean, what 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 are the odds? Uh, we posted something the other day. Only seven police officers have been convicted. Of murder since uh, 2007, out of 126 non-federal officers arrested for murder, which, first of all, that's amazing because you you get people, for example, like Timothy Lohman who killed uh, Tamir Rice. Uh, don't they? They don't even get arrested. Okay, so of the uh, of the of those who um, were arrested uh, for murder or manslaughter. Due to an on-duty shooting, only seven have been convicted. Now there were there were four other uh, convictions that were overturned during this time uh, frame, uh, but uh, I found this article that I thought was interesting that we posted, and I titled it, the corporate media manipulation of our emotions in the absence of critical thinking. And the uh, author uh, wrote there's a very significant chance that we reach either one of two verdicts. Chauvin receives a sentence much lighter than what's deserved, or he receives no sentence at all. Perhaps the outcome will be much more severe than expected or predicted. That's what we hope for. But why do we abuse ourselves with the repetition of such trauma, knowing that it's probably... A smarter course of action is simply uh, go about one's business and ignore the day-to-day media sensationalism that is this trial. Corporate media outlets greeted for ratings in the post-Trump world won't allow that, of course. As a result, public conversations and black discourse in particular are consumed by meticulous assessments of what's happening each day in the trial. Now, the, the, the person here is not saying don't pay any attention to it. <laughs> okay. But he's just saying that, you know, we need to be we need to be careful about being led. I mean, you know, these people are desperate for ratings because they lost their cash cow. Donald Trump What's particularly unhealthy and unproductive about this exercise is that it triggers yet again what cultural economists Mike green, August, is the episodic nature of our response to these types of incidents and issues. We are more immersed in a specific incident. The personalities involved in that event, and more bluntly, the events unfolding in the courtroom that we have absolutely no control over. The episodic model is very actionary and it fails to mobilize community to focus on broader structural issues and actions. The state of community mindset, activism, and politics will hinge largely on the trajectory and outcome of this trial. Since there's no, since there's no real collective planning around what we're doing during the trial or what we'll do after the trial concludes, we risk more uncoordinated outbursts versus coordinated overhauls of systems and influence over what we can actually change. So this is, you know, this is once again, how, you know, they they, they pull our emotions in a certain direction and it's all reactionary. And, uh, you know, this goes along the lines of what uh, Kwame Ture taught us about uh, mobilization versus organization. Because it's, it's 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 guaranteed that um, you know if this guy is exonerated, which wouldn't wouldn't would not surprise in any of us, that the uh the, that that there will be a massive, uh, social uh, moral outburst, and um, you know we could probably see something perhaps along the lines of what we saw in Los Angeles, during 1992, uh, with the Rodney King trial, and of course then what. Then what? What happens next? You know, after that, I mean, how, uh, you know, you know, is, is, is this being used as a laboratory, for example, to um, to to move, you know, towards more of a, a police state martial law type type of situation? Uh, some people have have connected the uh, Rodney King rebellion uh, to the actions of sick Willie Clinton and new Jim Crow, Joe Biden, uh, using uh, that outburst as one as one of their uh, talking points when, uh, you know, they they push through uh, the draconian crime bill, along with uh, Clinton's three strikes and you out and all of these things, which have had long term repercussions in our community. So, you know, all I'm saying is that, uh, you know, we just we just need to be aware of uh, the total scope of what's taking place. It's no accident that the corporate media is pushing this every day. Every day, you you know, you, 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 what other trial have you seen like this? Okay. Other than, you know, OJ Simpson, for example. All right. So, I mean, so here we go. It's just something to be aware of.
3: Yeah, they definitely will use this if they can, if there are massive riots, there will be probably bloodshed. They will probably use that to try to fast forward their battle with the NRA and taking away people's guns. I can definitely see that happening, especially if we go into a state of martial law. Right now, I can't really call this case either way, if Sharvin's if, if gonna get off or if he's gonna do time. Being that some of his peers are, Uh, Testifying against him, and it seems like he may he may do time. But you know, in this justice system that we're under in the United States, you you never really know what will happen when dealing with Europeans. If I can lean towards my gut, I would say that he won't get more than a year if he does get any time at all.
0: Well, one of the components of uh, the white supremacist dynamic as espoused by Neely Fuller is white sacrifices, you know, white supremacy as espoused by new Fuller operates on the basis of the cost loss paradigm. in other words, it's kind of like any grocery store. you know, where you may be selling asparagus and you will have a certain percentage of asparagus, of course, that is uh, going to spoil before it hits the shelves. And, of course, you will have a a certain percentage of the uh, asparagus relative to the small percentage of of asparagus that um, spoils that will be fresh and sold. In other words, Fuller of the idea that it operates on a uh, reward cost basis of thus whites uh, who are in the oligarchic position are able to perpetuate the uh, notion of white supremacy without uh, Uh, deploying in many instances, direct violence. You know, some of the other components that Fuller used to talk about was, uh, along with white sacrifices, was black showcasing, racial tailoring. Then of course, uh, one of the more critical one is black dislocation. Accomplished through eminent domain, through gentrification, keep us on the move limiting our ability to organize because of the constant mobility, the flight, uh, the inability based on uh, black folk being so transient, uh, it interferes with our abilities to organize. You know, like Dr. Ture did say, organization is the weapon of the oppressed. He talked about the components of organization, goals and objectives of uh, ideology that guides the organization is critical. Uh, he insisted that we were uh, highly, the word I want to use, I think, is uh, susceptible to, to mobilization. We will mobilize at the drop of a hat, but organization has always been uh, an issue with us. Um, he was even critical of Dr. King, King being a, a mobilizer but not an organizer. The the, the, uh, the importance of organization as espoused by Tarray was that organization continues your work. Yeah, and of course, once we establish a, a goal and objective, hopefully in a best case scenario, after the Chauvin verdict, you know, where do we go from here? What are our goals and objectives? And of course, let's pursue that cognizant of the fact that we are involved in a protracted struggle evidenced by the fact that we have been involved in the uh, longest standing war. The war with white supremacy is the longest standing
3: war, 1619 and beyond.
1: Hmm.
3: Well, yeah, I think this is definitely going to be a long summer because you still have the Ahmaud Arbery case as well. That's probably going to be coming up soon and it may fall right after this, right after this trial, um, meaning that those two events took place around the same time. Uh, So, I mean, this may be a domino effect between either black people, once again, not receiving justice or possibly receiving some justice for these, these murders.
2: Well, you know, in terms of in terms of what uh, Fuller was saying, I, it, it's possible that the uh, the people on the jury say, uh, "What what's the potential cost? You know, a mass massive destruction, you know, of of our city and other cities. Uh, you know, that's that's let's let's toss them a bone. You know, let's give uh, you know Floyd, uh, or not Floyd, give uh, Chauvin a uh, 20 uh, you know, fifteen years or, you know, something to that effect. Um, I think Michael Slager, uh, the guy that shot Walter Scott in the back, uh, when threatened, uh, you know, with the death penalty by the uh, federal government, agreed to a sentence of twenty years. Uh, certainly, one of the longest by any police officer. But that was because the feds stepped in uh the jury uh in uh charleston uh failed to convict him at the state level and so the fed the feds had to step in but but perhaps this 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 you know is it is it, it, it's, it's not you know one of the things we have to understand is that all of these people uh ultimately you know have lives out, outside of whatever they're doing at that particular moment so it's not it's not that they are totally oblivious to pressure. They're not totally oblivious to pressure. They, 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 they can yield to pressure. Okay. We, 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 we have seen that. And so it's possible that they, that they might say, okay, you know, this guy, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta go ahead and sacrifice this guy. He, he's gotta go. And that, and that could be what the officers, you know, who have, you know, come forth, uh, you know, to testify, uh, you know, against him, uh, amazingly, none of those officers were on, were on the scene to stop him when he was doing it. And, and none, none of them were, uh, you know, raising objections to, uh, the, uh, the process of, uh, of detaining a, a suspect, you know, here, you know, person hadn't, hadn't, hadn't committed a, uh, uh, even a violent crime, but it, you know, the, the, uh, the procedures of the police department in uh, minneapolis allowed uh you know for you know uh, the the officers to apply pressure to seduce someone by applying pressure uh you know to their necks you know which then is of course pressure you know on, on the car- carotid artery and other and other things that that you know can cause someone to die so now they, they they're coming forward but It's all it's all going to depend on the jury. I mean, and, you know, we 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 know that the defense is going to put Floyd on on trial. Uh, You know, my my concern is that. um, You know, we all too often we base our hopes and then our reactions on, you know, what other uh, actors are doing rather than what we are doing. And you I can see people saying, well, Floyd got convicted, man. I I mean, uh, I keep saying Floyd, I'm sorry. Chauvin got convicted, so man, you know, the system works. No, the system doesn't work. (laughs) You know, the system doesn't I
3: think we're so used to them putting us on trial, that's why you probably keep saying Floyd. Yeah,
2: you know, it's a it's a Freudian slip, right? (laughs) It's a fraud, it's a Freudian slip for sure.
3: But they put Trayvon on trial even even after he was already. Yeah, uh,
2: Michael, Michael Brown Jr. You yeah. know, Michael Brown Jr. was put on trial. Tamir Rice was put on trial. Eric Garner was put on trial. I mean, so, you know, this is this is what happens, right? I mean, man, it's crazy. Very interesting event took place in Washington, D.C. last week. And, you know, we raised the question is, you know, is this, uh, you know, psychological operations at work um there was a uh, young brother by the name of Noah Green who uh rammed his car into a barricade on Capitol Hill and apparently jumped out and uh was able to stab a police officer that's amazing in and of itself and uh, the officer you know passed away and then he was subsequently shot and the power structure immediately began to uh you know connect this twenty five year old brother uh you know to uh Minister Farrakhan and the nation of Islam. <laughs> and of course, you know they did the same thing with uh you know Micah Xavier Johnson down in uh Dallas um, you know when he uh killed five police officers and I think wounded nine others. A warrior in every sense of the word um the the power structures attempting to connect noah green to minister farrakhan and the nation of islam uh they made the same connection uh, for michael johnson however dylan roof and his ilk are never connected to any groups they just popped up out of nowhere no influences a bio from greens university said he was born in fairly west virginia and that uh The person in history he'd most like to meet is Malcolm X. Now, this is what they say was on his Facebook page. Did he write that? We don't know, perhaps. In a March 17th post on Facebook account that appears, this is the media saying this now, appears to belong to him, Green allegedly wrote that he believed Farrakhan is Jesus, the Messiah, and that Farrakhan was instrumental uh, on my awakening and life's work. Uh, Green allegedly signed the post, Brother Noah X, and he supposedly made a donation of a thousand and eighty five dollars to the Nation of Islam. Uh, you know exactly what drove this brother to uh, take this particular action? Uh, you know, I don't know if we'll ever know, but he said that he thought he that that his he was being subjected targeted for mind control by the FBI and the CIA. And, you know, do people just make things up like this? I mean, what, you know, what led him uh, to that conclusion? It reminded me of the uh, story of the sister, Miriam Carey, uh, who uh, was killed in uh, 2013 in DC uh, when she uh, rammed and she made a, uh, supposedly made a wrong turn. But she had said that she thought she was being uh, watched by Barack Obama. Uh, If not by him, she could have been. (laughs) Certainly by somebody working in the interest of him, uh, the National Security Agency or somebody. But, you know, when people say these kinds of things, you know, they're immediately dismissed. You know, they have mental problems. And and, but let's be crystal clear on this. You can't put anything past this government. This is a government which sprayed chemicals on a black housing project in St. Louis in uh, in the 1950s and then did it again in the 1960s and causing uh, a number of people in the project to die from cancer. And they, they claim that they were spraying, that they were testing some kind of um, uh, smoke cover just in case the Russians attacked. But they were actually running a chemical test, uh, spraying these chemicals on the people in this housing uh, project to see what the results were. Sort of, sort of like letting uh, the brothers in, in, in Tuskegee go untreated for syphilis. This happened in St. Louis uh, and several other com- uh, communities uh, that were inhabited by poor people, people of color, or even poor white people in the 1950s and 1960s we are dealing with some diabolical demons and so we can't put anything past them now these stories sound far-fetched when someone says something like this but you know uh this brother uh supposedly just returned from botswana now why he went to botswana or when he went to botswana but it was sometime this year I checked some uh, things regarding COVID and uh, I, I saw a state department report from August that said no commercial flights were being allowed into or out of Botswana. This was in August. And in September, there was only one flight and that was Ethiopian airlines. So, you know, when, when he went, why he chose that particular country, how he got back in the United States when he came back, was he, was he not quarantined? I mean, there's a lot of questions here that are not being raised, and everybody wants to take the angle that the the dude had mental problems and, you know, he he was under the influence of uh, Farrakhan. Uh, It's, uh, you know, it's it's quite amazing when you you think about it.
0: Uh, Yes, indeed. Sounds like a... (laughs) A patsy experimentation type of uh, orchestrated run, uh, similar to Lee Harvey Oswald. Hmm. You know who knows? Yeah, exactly. other than yeah, you know what Brother Omawale told us—that you dealing with a system that will not hesitate to use some of the most brutal forms of. Punishment, you use the word diabolical, that there is. If we don't develop the ability to read between the lines in terms of what they're doing, of course, he said that we would end up in the gas chambers, but you know, they have more subtle ways. But then once again, you know, we have to go back to the question of R. If an attempt was made to reduce us to shadow slavery, what would be our response? You know, given our a level of disorganization,
2: Hmm.
3: what could we do to prevent this from happening? Right. Just a question. Right. Did the brothers and sisters in those projects in St. Louis, did they receive any type of reparations? No. Good question. No. And the reason why I ask is because the United States, they did a similar, it wasn't spraying, but they did a nuclear test on the Marshall Islands in the 1940s and 50s. Mm -hmm. Test nuclear bombs and then they had the people of the island go back onto the island to see how the radiation would affect them. Mm -hmm. And many of them died. Right. And they got paid over $750 million. Wow. Because of what the US did, what the US government did to them.
2: Mm.
3: So another case of a similar situation, but black people receiving no reparations.
2: Right. I, I, I don't know of any. Uh, I uh, it, it, it took a long time for them to even admit, you know, all, these people were winding up with all types of cancers and dying, you know, at, a, at an early age, uh, you know, or going through treatment and whatnot. And they finally admitted, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, to the fact that they had, had done this. And you know, I don't know if anyone has filed a lawsuit on their behalf. Uh, I know they had raised the issue with the uh, senator out there, Claire McCaskill, uh, but I'd have to go back and and and, and, and review it uh, just to see. But yeah, definitely, um, uh, you know, that case with the Marshall Islands definitely they they did run those uh, tests, and you know, hey, look. You can't put anything past this government. No, I, I mean, absolutely nothing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, speaking of no convictions, you know, we had the uh, situation uh, in in St. Louis with a uh, brother, Luther Hall, uh, who was, ha- had embedded himself in a, in a, in a protest. Uh, this was after another uh, officer uh, was exonerated people in St. Louis were protesting and uh, white officers attacked this brother as one of the protesters. They didn't, they didn't reckon, they didn't recognize that he was an undercover officer and uh, he was, uh, he was severely beaten Luther Hall sustained injuries requiring multiple, multiple surgeries after posing as a protester while working undercover in St. Louis the city of St. Louis agreed to pay Hall $5 million in February, 2021. Uh, a lot of times when the way, a lot of times these settlements, a, a jury will look at and say, Oh, this guy got paid. So we don't need to convict anybody. Uh, the problem, you know, it's good that people get these settlements, but it's unfortunate that the people who perpetrated the crime the money does some of the money doesn't come out of their pocket. I mean, I think these uh police chiefs and captains, I, I you know, I think their their paycheck should be docked along with, you know, uh you know, officers who are tolerating, you know, this kinds of things along with uh you know, commissioners and mayors and others. All of the money comes, you know, from the taxpayers. And this actually was a federal case, uh not a state case. A federal jury failed to convict One current, one of these guys still in the police force and two former St. Louis police officers accused of beating an undercover black officer during a 2017 protest. The white officers were accused of civil rights violations, um, after beating fellow officer Hall, who was black while mistaking him for a protester. So if if, I guess if he had just been a regular protester, he would have just been beaten (laughs) and nothing and nothing would have happened. Uh, in a mixed verdict, jurors acquitted Officer Stephen Corte and former Officer Christopher Myers Myers on charges of deprivation of civil rights under color of law, but could not reach a decision on former Officer Dustin Boone. Jurors were also unable to come up with a verdict on a destruction of property charge against Myers, who was accused of breaking H- Hall's cell phone. The deprivation of civil rights charges carried up to ten years in prison. So uh, that obviously the state decided that uh you know that they weren't even worthy of uh of of of, uh, of being charged and so the fed stepped in and uh you know you got no convictions and they're saying well they, they, they have some pictures of him being beaten but they don't have any video <laughs> so now everything depends on video uh but you know hey once again this is the way this is the way the, the way the system works i mean You know what? 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 What are the grounds for exoneration here? They attacked a a a protester who happened to be a police officer. Beat him severely, and and no conviction. No conviction. I guess the go ahead. Eric
0: Garner choked to death on video, and the police officer was exonerated. So and 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 and. and, and,
2: they locked up the man that, that took the video. Exactly. Exactly. So, <laughs> they I mean, just it go.
0: It, it, you know, same kind of justice that was meted out against Emmett Till and uh, expressed in the 1857 Dred Scott case. A gentleman of BB Fajodier, looking forward to going live at some point in time. Uh, carry on, man.
2: Okay. All right, brother. Almost, you got anything from the continent?
3: Um, currently on the continent, um it's been a lot more of these quote unquote jihadist attacks, uh, in Mozambique, uh, there was an attack that took place last week where there were a lot of people beheaded. I think at least up to the uh, 30 people beheaded, uh, with heads left in the streets, right? And uh, there was also recently attack in Sudan. Um so they're definitely beefing up the war on terrorism and moving it, migrating it to Africa. Uh, as we discussed in, in some of our previous shows. Um, I mean, I don't I don't foresee this changing anytime soon unless african people and, and the leaders on the continent uh take a stance against this or unless it's somewhat thwarted by either the russians or the chinese because of their interests uh, on the african continent
2: hmm. you know an interesting thing uh, brother almost is that uh there uh you know the russians have um uh, you know some of these uh, private uh, military contractors uh, just like uh, the United States has several, and uh, they they went into the conflict in the Central African Republic, something that we that we haven't talked about. It it has been framed as a as a religious conflict between Christians and Muslims. Uh, and you know, just the thought of that is <laughs> exasperating african christians and african muslims but the um they had some some success in the uh in the car they uh were invited into uh mozambique uh they were invited along with a south african uh you know a private military contractor also uh was was invited the the russians were actually defeated by the uh jihadists and what one, one, one thing that happens with these private contractors uh, a lot of times if you know they don't go in there with a, a a huge army and if they suffer you know four or five casualties a lot of times you know they'll you know they'll 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 bail out so uh they did send some private contractors and the jihadists forced them out or the insurgents or the rebels you know whatever you want want to call these people and uh only the uh, south africans are there now but here's something that's you when you, you stop and think about this portugal the country that for Limo, the Mozambique Liberation Front defeated to win their independence, says that they're sending uh, 60 of their uh, special uh, operations uh, special forces to help. So the country that that they had to defeat to get their independence is now sending soldiers to help them uh, with this particular situation. But it's not really to help Mozambique, it's to help the extraction of the natural gas. The French firm Total uh, had just moved back into uh, Cabo Delgado uh, before this most recent attack has occurred. And I think, uh, you know, a program earlier, you talked about how many uh, uh, metric tons or whatever of of natural gas uh, was available in this country is one of the largest deposits in the world, I believe. And, uh, I think that's the, that's the interest. Uh, you know, we see now that the, uh, that the United States, of course, uh, you know, made a statement after this most recent attack saying, you know, that, uh, they would be providing help. Didn't exactly explain what that meant, but we generally know what it means. So, uh, Part of the problem, uh, as it has been explained by others, is that um, it's really it's really didn't start so much as a jihadist movement as as it started as a situation where that particular area of the country was being neglected by the government. Okay, now, in all fairness to the government, after the government defeated the Portuguese, The United States found a group of race traders an organization by the name of Renamo and began to fund them to wage a civil war. This was during the Cold War and they felt that they would lose Mozambique to uh, the influence of the Soviet Union. So even after defeating the Portuguese, then they had to fight uh, their own people uh, who were receiving funds primarily from the United States. And uh, you know, that civil war has raged for years after their after uh, Mozambique's independence. So you know this, this so when when you're trying to fight a war, it's difficult to de- to try to develop your country because you got so many resources, you know, have to go you know to to fighting uh, against people who are your own people and should be, trying to work with you to build a country up so that everyone benefits. I mean, this, this is a problem that, that we have in numerous countries in Africa. So yeah, it, it, the situation, uh, does look bad, but, but. I think part of the problem in my opinion is that the surrounding countries who are part of, uh, the South African development, uh, council, uh, have not committed to help Mozambique because I guess they're afraid that uh, the attacks will, you know, spread to their country. So, you know, Africans can solve their problem. You know, if we look, for example, at the heroic actions of the Ghanaian troops, and this is a story that hasn't been told. Everybody knows about hotel Rwanda, but during the ethnocide that that took place uh, in, in Rwanda, in, uh, in 1994, uh, there, were, uh, there was a, uh, a battalion or a company of, uh, of uh, Ghanaian troops who were there as part of, uh, of the UN mission. And when when the ethnocide uh, erupted, the UN pulled out of the country and they said, you're on your own. The Ghanaian troops decided to stay. Now, this was a real uh, pan-African consciousness type of orientation. They said, we may have come here under the auspices of the UN, but we are Africans. And we see our people in Rwanda being killed. And so, you know, we had the story on our page. I'm trying to find it. But uh, they said that we're going to stay and save as many of our people uh, as we can because, you know, they're African people just like us. And they saved an estimated thirty thousand people, and a lot of times they weren't even uh they 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 weren't even armed, but they just had the courage to uh to face, uh you know the people who were trying to kill, uh you know various uh, people whether they were uh you know part of the uh, Hutu ethnic group or the Tutsi ethnic group, and yeah you know, so African people can help one another. It's just a matter of having the orientation and, you know, this uh, unilateral decision that was made, uh, you know, by the government of uh, of Ghana under the honorable and now, you know, ancestor uh, Jerry Rawlins was was an auroric act. Uh, you know, it, it, that's a story that, 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 that should be told. That's a story that should be told.
3: This has been another episode of the African Liberation Media Podcast. You can listen to our podcast by visiting our website, AfricanLiberationMedia.com. Also, if you want to check us out on social media, you can visit our Facebook page and Instagram as well. You can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, Bibi Fajodier. Bibi Fajodier. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this.
1: Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. Buying your houses and fine clothes, does not represent power. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.